This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. And one of the many election aftermath stories that we've been thinking about and following lately is what you might call a tale of two counties. Yeah, the Detroit suburban counties of Oakland and Macomb sit right next to each other, just north of the city. They are both changing rapidly when it comes to politics And they're almost on exact opposite courses. Wealthy Oakland County has long been a Republican stronghold, but it's quickly turning blue, both in terms of local races and how it votes in national elections. In recent years, Democrats have flipped all but one countywide seat and now control the county commission. And Joe Biden won Oakland County by 14 points this year, compared to eight points in 2016 for Hillary Clinton. And you probably have heard a lot about Macomb County since 2016. It's the home of the so-called Reagan Democrat, which has been considered a bellwether for the entire state of Michigan. It has been at a political crossroads for decades, as that Reagan Democrat title suggests. But it has become more and more Republican in the last two elections. It helped Donald Trump win the White House four years ago, and he got 43 thousand more votes in Macomb County this time around, although his percentage of total votes stayed about the same because it was such a high turnout election. So Congressman Andy Levin represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District, which straddles the southern portions of both Oakland and Macomb counties. He pushes back a little bit on the idea that Macomb has become more entrenched politically, noting that Joe Biden actually closed the gap on Trump in 2020 in terms of the percentage of the total vote. But he admits Republicans were able to make gains there despite a clear national victory for Democrats in the presidential race. Joe Biden nationally won the popular vote by over 5 million votes, by more than Barack Obama won in 2012, I heard against Romney, and Joe Biden won a clear majority of the Electoral College, and yet the loser, the clear loser, Donald Trump had some coattails, including like on something like the Macomb County Commission. I mean, that is really interesting nitty-gritty local politics right there, right? Super nitty-gritty. <laughs> but in that clip, Levin mentioned the Macomb County Commission. So stay with us for a second here because this does get really nitty-gritty. In this election, Republicans won a majority on that commission for the first time ever. And they will soon control four out of five countywide seats. And before the 2016 election, Democrats controlled all of those countywide seats. So the shift to the right seems to be happening pretty quickly in Macomb. And there's all kinds of explanations for this, including major demographic changes in both Oakland and Macomb counties. But I think the important point here is that these are two really interesting examples of something we're seeing all over the state, which is increasing tribalism by geography. And the fact that there are fewer and fewer places we can look to, like we used to look to Macomb County, as a bellwether of Michigan politics. That's right. If you want to know which way the political winds are blowing in our state, you got to do more than put your finger in the air.
So as we mentioned, Congressman Andy Levin is a Democrat representing Michigan's 9th Congressional District. He joins us now to talk about the election, its aftermath, the two counties that he represents, and maybe a bit about his own future as well. Congressman Levin, welcome to Mishmash. Thanks, Jake. It's great to be with you. So, Congressman, you represent parts of Oakland and Macomb counties, and this election saw both of those counties sort of moving in opposite directions. Oakland has continued to vote more for Democrats in recent years, whereas Macomb County has become increasingly more red. What are you hearing from constituents in each county about what is motivating them politically? Well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is we'll see how much Macomb is really moving red or how much this is like a Donald Trump. Uh, you know, personal phenomenon. That's a very interesting question going forward. Um, but what I, what I'm seeing uh, motivating constituents is uh, they want the COVID crisis is huge for a lot of people who've been personally affected by it. Um, their kids, schools, businesses, their work. You know, so many things. Um, and people uh, want. I really think kind of the same thing. Good paying jobs. Uh, health care, a dignified retirement. So I actually think what I'm most interested in is when we can we run an experiment where Democrats actually put our program into place, $15 an hour minimum wage, freedom to form unions for everybody, health care as a human right, uh, universal pre-K, really uh, chopped down on, on the amount of debt that college students or people who've been to college have, and then go back to the electorate. Cause I think a lot of these divisions would go away if, if we could just lift the people up economically and the Republican party's definitely not going to do that. So, you know, that's what I'm curious about, but in this election, um, you know, it is astounding that 70 million Americans voted for Donald Trump to me. And I mean, what we saw is in Oakland County, a huge turnout uh, for Joe Biden. And like you said, Democratic gains, like where I live in Bloomfield Township, I think four years ago, I'm not sure anybody ran for township government as a Democrat. In 2020, we have a four to three majority, Democratic majority on the township board, my goodness. And in Macomb County, I would say we made progress uh, in some ways from 2016, but you're right. It wasn't a great outcome for Democrats in, in a lot of ways in Macomb. Yeah. When it, when it comes to Macomb, I mean, we've talked so much over the last four years about Macomb County, its role in flipping Michigan red for Donald Trump. And of course, its outsized role in the election nationally. But of course, this year, uh, Michigan as a state voted for Joe Biden by a much more sizable margin. And Trump did better in Macomb County and actually had some coattails there with Republicans winning a lot of local seats. So what do you take away from that? I mean, you know, uh, do you think that Macomb County's ability to sort of serve as a bellwether for Michigan is is fading? Is it becoming more entrenched? I, I don't think so. And and I want I don't think Donald Trump did better here than he did in 2016. So let's take the I represent Macomb County, you know, to oversimplify south of Hall Road. You know, it's not because of all the gerrymandering. It's it's quite complicated where the lines are drawn. But I represent southern Macomb. I pledged that uh, we would get at least 20,000 more votes for Joe Biden than Hillary Clinton had got in the ninth district part of Macomb. And that would help power uh, Joe Biden to victory statewide. In fact, we got 27,000 more votes for Joe Biden. But 
Donald Trump also did better in the sense you're talking about, not vis-a-vis Biden, but than he did in 2016. He got more votes, right? So what the, the upshot is this. Net-net, we reduced, uh, we had a t- net of 10,500, I think, more votes for uh, Joe Biden. Hey, folks, that's was Trump's whole margin of victory in 2016. So I feel pretty darn good about that. Um, but, uh, you know, both uh, Biden and Trump got more votes than either candidate got in 2016. All in all, in, in Macomb County, uh, in 2016, uh, Trump's margin was like 12 points, and in 2020, it was eight points. So we actually reduced his margin of victory in Macomb significantly. So that's how it's complicated, right? But that's that's what it looks like. And he did have, here's a case. I think it's amazing, you all. Joe Biden, I guess, won the, the nationally won the popular vote by over 5 million votes, by more than Barack Obama won in 2012, I heard against Romney. And he and, and Joe Biden won a clear majority of the uh, of the Electoral College. And yet the loser, the clear loser, Donald Trump had some coattails, including like on something like the Macomb County Commission. I mean, that is really interesting, nitty gritty local politics right there, right? It is. And and I'm curious sort of what you think, uh, not only that, not only that, but like in Macomb, but just sort of statewide, what this election is really saying about Michigan and about where the state is headed politically. Are we becoming just like a truly, truly forever purple state? Are we becoming more Democrat, more Republican? Or does it really just sort of depend on who is at the top of the ticket? Well, I think Michigan uh, is uh, generally a Democratic state and we veer over into purpleness um, either due to gerrymandering, which should be a thing of the past, thanks to voters, not politicians, or due to, you know, somebody like like Donald Trump. Um, I I just go back to uh, sort of two elements of American politics. Uh, One is the lunch bucket issues of delivering for the people on the things that, how much money do they make? How good are their benefits? How much could their kid get ahead in life? I mean, really the, the, the elements of the American dream. And then there are the kind of divisive elements uh, where, and I think they're especially effective, uh, Shane, if, if people aren't doing well economically, about, oh, well, you pray differently than me. You look different than me. You're, you know, an immigrant or whatever. And people uh, can, uh, you know, be susceptible to this kind of division. I'm really hopeful that if we can have, reduce the inequality in America, if we can bring the the American dream back into view for working people, Michigan would be a super solid blue state. And I think that that's my my whole mission in life is to lift up the voice and power of working people and to raise the standard of living for workers. And I think until the Democrats get that done, purpleness will still be in our life. You know, we got to get it done. I mean, it seems like that is along the lines of what Joe Biden is saying in many ways now. Um, 
this idea of, as you called it, lunch bucket issues, you know, trying to get your uh, the the democratic uh, vision for what policy should look like in place. Um, if if that could only happen, as you said, uh, you believe that uh, it would sway people. I keep coming back to the ACA. Um, you know, when 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 President Obama came into office, you know, the amount of capital that he spent on getting something like that um, passed, and the division over a law that it you know was about offering affordable and uh, accessible health care to people. Um, it, it makes me wonder if just the way that politics works in America in, in the modern era uh, means that uh, even the issues that matter most to Americans uh, can be used as this wedge. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on whether or not, uh, I mean, you're talking about a $15 uh, minimum wage, uh, something that would benefit millions of Americans, no doubt, um, but has also proved to be divisive along political lines. I mean, it seems like the the optimism on getting something like that through and then gaining support. I don't know. I, I guess I'm 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 having trouble being optimistic about something like that. Yeah, Jake, let me hit you with this. Two little factoids from this 2020 election. Donald Trump, of course, won Nebraska big time. Nebraska voters, I think by a margin of over 80, I think it might have been 83% passed a referendum that said payday loans can't have an interest rate higher than 36%. Some commentator there said 80% of Nebraskans never agreed on anything before, you know, so that's astounding. And then look at Florida. Donald Trump wins Florida by 52 or whatever he won by a $15 an hour minimum wage won Florida by 60, 60, 40. It kicked Donald Trump's butt in the same state. So the ideas of that, that, that would benefit working people economically are super popular. And we Democrats are just going to have to figure out a way to get them done because until we do working people in this country are going to suffer Income and wealth inequality are going to continue to get worse. The systemic racism in our society is going to continue to mean that women, poor people, women, people of color are going to get an even shorter end of the stick. And forget about politics in a way. Just for the sake of the people, we have to figure out a way to drive these policies home, like to enactment, as you're saying, so that we can actually uh, lift up the working people of this country. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about sort of tribalism based on geography. You had mentioned gerrymandering, and I think that there's this hope that if we change, you know, the lines to theoretically be nonpartisan, that, you know, that that there will, for Democrats at least, that there will be more Democrats uh, in, in the state house and in the legislature. Is that something that you see as really being possible? Or is it that we have become a society that really, you know, Republicans tend to really gravitate towards certain areas, whereas Democrats gravitate towards towards other areas? I'm just I'm curious to get your thoughts about that. Well, I think in a way, if you take the long view, uh, you know, that's changed many, you know, multiple times in American history. I mean, after all, in the late 19th century, populism meant farmers, uh, you know, demanding economic justice. And um, so I, I don't think so. I think Joe Biden actually did better in a lot of uh, rural areas and small towns than 
Uh, he didn't win them, you know, but he did uh, much better at them. I, I just hold up our, you know, Senator Stabenow, who would become, you know, if we can get these two seats back in Georgia, we'll see. But, you know, she'd be the chairwoman of the Agricultural Committee. I mean, I, I think that um, I don't think things have to be that way. Um, I, I, I think that as a society, what's happened is that we had a lot of deindustrialization. And a lot of these smaller towns were a one, you know, one factory town, two factories, they left. And honestly, what has Lansing or Washington done for these small areas? And I think we need to change that. And I think that what America needs to do to, to deal with climate change has tremendous possibility for, for rural areas in energy production, in solar, in wind, um, in uh, energy storage and transmission um, and in uh, electrification of vehicles. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that there's hope there, but um, right now it's a pretty stark divide, as you say. I want to ask a follow-up on that because I'm working on another piece about climate change. And since you mentioned that, I'm curious, do you foresee climate change under a Biden administration as becoming more bipartisan and being able to make uh, gains in 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 policies and in legislation that is that would you know promote a good climate? Is that something that you think could get done even if uh, you know the the Senate remains Republican? Well, I think there are three reasons for hope here. Uh, one is reality. <laughs> you know, the, the fires, the floods, the hurricanes happening, regardless of if you're a red area or a blue area, the reality of the disaster of our overheating of our planet is upon us. It's not a future issue anymore. Um, secondly, um, there's the question the fact that Joe Biden had, has run on a way more aggressive clean energy platform than any president in history. It just shows that the whole discussion of climate change is moving rapidly. And third, among any, any young person, regardless of party, that, you know, young Republicans are way more accepting that we have to deal with climate change than older ones. So over time, this is only, you know, going to get better and better. The problem is we have no time to wait. We have to act right now just as comprehensively and as rapidly as we can to change everything about the way we move, the way we manufacture things, the way we live. Um, I'm, I'm talking about vehicles, mass transit, high-speed rail, uh, buildings, the whole built environment. Uh, new buildings need, should be zero net energy or better by a date certain retrofitting all the older buildings. Um, and all, all of this is just jobs, 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 you know, good union jobs. That's what I'm looking for. So I see it as a huge opportunity for us, not as a, um, not as, as uh, you know, a downer at all. Let's go. So uh, I can't I can't pass up the opportunity to ask you a little bit about the fallout from the election so far. Um, the president and all levels of the GOP at this point have been spreading false information about vote counting and debunked claims of fraud, of course. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's statement that there would be a smooth transition into a second Trump administration. That's fueled concerns about a political coup. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are about all of this. Where are you at? 
Well, you know, I'm very concerned about um, the uh, tearing at the fabric of our democracy by all of this false information. Um, I was just talking to one of the great Republican clerks in my district here on Veterans Day. And, you know, she was saying, you know, she's, uh, she's a Republican. She's been a clerk for a really long time. And she was saying, you know, we clerks need to get together, Republicans and Democrats, and just explain to the American people that th the election is just a bunch of us local people, <laughs> the clerks and citizens who come volunteer to come out and work on this. They get a little, you know, they get paid a little bit, but they're just regular folks who make sure every person who votes is eligible and then make sure every vote is counted accurately. And there was no fraud, no problems. It, it's actually a celebration of our democracy, what happened last week. And it worked really well. And so we need to hold up the, we need to, you know, celebrate um, how well our democracy worked and move on to a transition to a Biden administration. After all, Joe Biden won the state of Michigan by 15 times what Donald Trump wanted in 2016. So come on, folks, let's go. He's going to probably win 306 electoral college votes. It's not a close election, uh, and, and the Republicans need to move on. And it's a shame. It's just unpatriotic if anybody's um, unwilling to transfer power peacefully. And it's not only unpatriotic, it's undemocratic. And, you know, it's, it's a threat to democracy itself. Have you had any conversations with Republican colleagues about their silence on this or they're even fueling the the way that we're talking about um, these, again, false claims of fraud or, or election counting errors? You know, uh, Jake, I haven't I, we're going to go back into session, um, you know, next early next week. And so I'll talk to see folks then. I, the Republicans I've talked to have mostly been in the district and especially Republican clerks and Republican local officials. And I've said to them, you know, well, do tell. Was there, I mean, was there a problem? Were there any fraudulent activities? Did anybody stuff any ballot boxes or, you know, do any, uh, were any phony people voting or something like that? And they say, well, of course not. You know, I run the elections and I'm very proud of our local efforts. I mean, this is the guts of democracy in action. And if you make false claims that our elections didn't work, you are really um, threatening democracy itself. And it's dangerous and they need to stop it. And I think, I think though President-elect Biden is taking just the right tone that he is moving forward, setting up his uh, cabinet and his White House uh, wow, what a! It was amazing Monday morning before I even had my coffee. He denounced his COVID task force. I was like, "Let's go!" Really, a government that'll take a scientific approach and let doctors run our COVID response. Um, so I think America is so ready for a time of greater unity, lower temperature, more civil discourse. Joe Biden represents all of that, and I think it's going to work out just fine. Jake, I think we should call this episode Let's Go with Congressman Andy Levin. <laughs> <laughs>
But speaking of let's go and of the Biden administration, we've been seeing reports that you are maybe getting support to be the next labor secretary in a Biden administration. Is that something that you're actively seeking? Have you spoken with the transition team about it? You know, give us some give us some gossip. I I have not spoken with the transition team about it, Shana. I I spoke regularly during the campaign with, um, you know, some of uh, the the president-elect's close advisors, but it wasn't about that. It was about how he can talk about trade effectively and get yourself to Macomb County and things like that. And they did come to Macomb County and Oakland County and Wayne County and, you know, throughout the state. I mean, it was terrific. You know, I was just reelected to represent the people of the ninth district. I can still hardly believe I have this job, Shana. I am so honored to, to be the representative of the citizens of Southeast Oakland and Southern Macomb counties. I'm really looking forward to serving in the 117th Congress. Uh, There are a lot of people who I've worked with uh, in the labor movement, in the environmental movement, in the workforce. Remember, I'm the only member of the House or Senate who used to run a state workforce system. um, And I have a background in health and safety and in international workers' rights as well. So it's natural that people who've worked with you, you know, talk about things like that. But it's it's really up to Joe Biden to pick his cabinet. And I'm, you know, so eager to support uh, the Biden administration any way I can. My guess it'll it'll be from uh, the halls of Congress and that'll be terrific. Congressman Andy Levin is a Democrat representing Michigan's ninth congressional district. Congressman Levin, thank you so much for joining us here on Mishmash. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Shane. It's great to have been with you. Take care. Well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in.